Welcome back, my people, to the Beyond Condition podcast. I want to, first of all, as always on my solo podcast, thank all of you for listening. And today I am launching a brand new series based around first time competitors. Now, this is going to be aimed at talking about the first time you compete. But I'd also like to play relevance on the fact that I'm going to, throughout this series, talk a lot about the first time I competed and through when the guests come on, their clients, if they've competed, also talking about that. But also utilising this episode to bring back what it felt like when you first prepped for a bodybuilding competition if you are a seasoned competitor. There's plenty of, I guess, influence on social media or talking at shows, etc., etc., where we can often be pulled into the hardship that we face in a prep, right? It's an extreme sport, and you can forget what it felt like when you first prepped, when you first got into bodybuilding and what that brought. And for a lot of us, it was a privileged position to be even able to get involved with a prep and then step on stage for the first time. So I'm hoping that it brings back potentially that appreciation, but maybe even that love of the sport could rekindle. Because I certainly... I remember my first prep like it was yesterday. And I think that you always do. And then stepping on stage for the first time, what that brings is certainly something that stays true in your heart. So in today's episode, I'm going to be talking about a lot of considerations around your first time prep. I'm also going to be talking about some of the big, big valuable lessons that I've learned myself. And having done seven seasons, There's plenty of lessons in there that I'd love to share with you guys, because if you're doing this for the first time, there is so much excitement. There is a lot almost riding on that show day. However, this also often gets coupled with potentially external pressure and it can feel quite hard when you first prep. And I'm sure you can relate with how different your lifestyle becomes how structured your lifestyle becomes. And that in itself can be pretty hard for those around you to understand and witness. And also when they don't understand, it can create pushback. Now I did an episode not long ago, celebrating 100 episodes of the Beyond Condition podcast, which was made for you guys or anyone you know, to share with your family members or people around you to actually talk about what it is to prep and how people around you essentially can support you and maybe think a little bit more about how to treat you during a prep, how to communicate with you. Because of course we know communication is key with any relationship. That's so, so true. And that throughout your first prep will be a big player in how well you get on through the prep with the relationships you have we all have light bulb moments in a prep and you can have times where you think fucking hell I didn't realize that was coming the emotions that can come throughout prep the realizations that you can have throughout a prep can be very big 
And one of the messages I try and share about that is when you are having these periods of time during your prep where you think, oh, my God, I need to change X, Y or Z or maybe all three. Sometimes it is better to ride it out, sit with those thoughts, talk to people that you can confide in if it's appropriate, and then actually reassess it after your prep when you're getting healthier, when you've competed, and when you're able to have a bit more of a rational mind. Because, of course, in your prep, the reason these epiphanies come, the reason these thoughts and feelings come about often are related to you are essentially starving your body of food, you're overexerting because of the little food you're on. You, you know, it's a bit like if you were to starve yourself, right? What would you end up doing? You try and conserve energy. You'd end up being low in mood, low in energy. Things would be affected over time. And that's what we're looking at from a prep. But of course, the biggest attributes from doing a prep, getting into this lifestyle, are the structure, the discipline, showing yourself what you're capable of, being able to adhere to a diet, being able to withstand challenges and overcome them if you face them in your prep. There's big onus on when you do prep and you overcome challenges throughout that phase, how that sits with you and how much self-development you can gain during this time. So if we throw it right back to when I first prepped, so it's over 12 years ago now, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, all I wanted was to see if I had a six-pack. I was so hyped when I first saw my six-pack, when I had my tan put on on show day. I looked in the mirror, I've still got a photo now, and pulled my t-shirt up and I was like, wow, I've got a six pack. Now, the reason I want to bring that up is generally for your first time, for your first prep, there isn't any expectations on you other than the expectations you put on yourself. Now, hopefully, and I say hopefully because I mean this, you're not feeling pressured by other people, including your coach, to go in and clean up because Really, when you're doing your first prep, maybe you don't understand as much as you do when you prep several times that it is a subjective sport. You never know who's going to turn up on the day. You never know really how you're going to look until the day. You don't know if the other competitors have done things like practice their posing. You don't know if the other competitors are going to peak to show their best physique because things can go wrong in a peak, right? And this lays relevance on when you do have a coach, committing to that coach and finding a coach that you respect, that you look up to, and also that offers the level of education and communication that you would like. And it's very important that you get that clear from the off. So a big tip for any first timers listening, if you haven't already got a coach, I certainly recommend doing your research. So having a look at different coaches, even talking to their current clients, what sort of coaching style does this coach use? And does that 
ring true to you? Is that how you would like to be coached? Now, if you've never had a coach before, how do you know? How do you know who the right coach for you is? We have many, many coaches in the online coaching space now. So many. And I often think being an online coach myself, how would someone choose me or how would someone choose their coach? And generally, it's going to be from testimonials, how well known the coach is in the industry. It's going to be potentially from transformations they post, maybe education they offer via online forums, portals, etc. And these are all going to contribute. Now, what I would also say as extension from that is to have multiple consultations. So if you've never had a coach before, then it's a good idea to book several consultations and talk with different coaches. Have a list of questions ready. Ask them those questions, see how they respond, see if it's the response you're looking for. Don't be scared to dig a little bit deeper. Remember, guys, you are paying for a service you are paying for that coach and that coach serves you. Now, it is a two-way relationship. We, as coaches, we outline a plan. We work with you and what your goals are. And that, of course, requires adherence from you. But it is a two-way street. So there's certainly two ways to look at this. But I would recommend that you do think about this. You take some time and you ensure that you hopefully get the right coach for you. Now, this also feeds into your first time prep, right? So something that I'd like to talk about being aware of as a first time competitor is actually when you first go into a bodybuilding prep, when you first do a show, if this is your first time working with a coach, there is merit, if possible, to spend some time with this coach before you start the prep. Now, eight to 12 weeks is normally enough. And this allows the coach to learn you, to understand you, and for you guys to work together to look at, you know, food selection, your training, being able to create a plan that fits in your lifestyle. Because remember, if you can't fit it in your lifestyle, how are you going to adhere? So that eight to 12 weeks gives you a bit of time to lay down the foundations of bodybuilding, particularly if you've never done anything like this before. So you may have trained a bit, maybe done some calorie counting, things like this, but going into a bodybuilding prep with that goal in mind, it's going to be very, very different. So this facilitates a successful start for you and your coach. And then when you go into a prep, you're able to have that coach take you into that transition and then see you through to your prep. Now, the big consideration here also is that when you lead into a prep and then you go through a prep and you get ready to peak for your first show, your coach hasn't worked with you before in this way. So the reason, the big, big reason I stayed with my first coach for over seven years was that he learned my body. So it got to the point where we were peaking and he could guess my scale weight. He could say, this is the amount of carbs you're going to have for your peak. This is exactly what we're going to do at these points. If we're going to have a refeed, I'm predicting it's going to be around here. And this type of thing that you start to accrue with data when you work with someone in a physique based sport. And then that facilitates 
as you learn, the longer you're with your coach, they're able to peak you more efficiently. They're able to get it, you know, much more bang on, as we would call it. And essentially, the trust is there. And executing a plan, I found as a competitor, became much easier because I wouldn't need to ask as many questions as when I first started. I was able to just go, okay, here's the plan. I've done it before. Rinse and repeat, essentially. And that also facilitates a big drop off of stress around getting ready for a show and doing a prep in itself. So when I think about when I first prepped, when I got that six pack, bar, you know, when I started winning shows and becoming successful accolade wise, that was probably my biggest memory and my biggest feeling of success and achievement as a competitor. No one can take away from you your first show and how that feels. And I also hope that this episode will actually help you in your prep with a few of the things that I'm going to go through, including stress and recovery management, to help your prep feel more fluid, for you to maybe think about some of the things that might come up, plan ahead, and get you ready for your show. So with that first one, it was a complete lifestyle change for me. I actually experimented with several different diets with a friend that I worked with at the gym. I also had a PT that tried some different techniques for me with nutrition. But to be honest, I was pretty all over the gaff with thinking, you know, how would I get to a competition lean, a competition ready physique? And that's when I decided to get a bodybuilding specific coach. So from the off, I had that importance there right I feel like if you're competing a bodybuilding coach is essential that's my personal view now I know that some people as they become more seasoned in the sport they maybe don't use a coach but my personal standpoint is that you should always have a coach a second eye and someone to guide you someone you can lean on and also for me that objective point of view, someone that's able to be outside of your day-to-day life, someone that's able to have input from a rational standpoint, someone that has your best interests at heart and can offer you guidance without that emotional tie as such. So as coaches, of course, we become very invested in our clients. We want to support you mentally. We want to support your goals from your physique. But we're able to go, okay, so here's the plan. This is what we need to do. And I'd always remember a conversation I had with Stephen where there were certain points in my first few seasons where it was pretty rough. It was new to me, right? And I said to him one day, I'm I'm really struggling here. This is very, very hard. Not that I would deviate. I would never deviate from a plan, but I expressed how hard it was because he asked me, how is it feeling? Tell me honestly. And he said, this is the point in prep where you're going to no longer feel like I'm your friend. I'm going to need to tell you what to do and you're going to need to do it. And I'm not going to be at a point where I'm able to make decisions based on you telling me, "Okay, this is very, very hard, Stephen. I don't know how I'm doing this. I don't know if I can do this because my goal is to step on stage. Right. So let's think about this. Let's listen to this advice here. 
what is your goal? What do you want to step on stage looking like? Do you want to be competitive? And are you willing to do what it takes to get there? Because there is a point in prep where, you know, you can't claw back energy. No refeed is going to touch it. Particularly if you're looking to push for a very lean physique, you're getting your body fat right down. There's no real way of negating this. You've got to commit to the process and hopefully work with your coach to find ways to be able to push through the discomfort and continue on to your show day. And really for me, having a coach that you respect certainly facilitates you being able to push through and want to do them proud as well. And I also have that with my coach, Tom, now. I want to do him proud just as much as I want to do myself proud and then my close family and friends. And that's important to me. There's no way I want to step on stage knowing that I haven't done what my coach has asked me to do. And if I've made a mistake, I want to own that and talk to my coach about it because that is advice I would give. If you're given a plan, and for some reason, you deviate from that plan, whether it's you end up eating more food or you miss a training session or whatever it is, whatever it is that's away from your plan. Right. There's a multitude of things. I truly believe that you need to be honest with your coach. Now, let's think about this from a coaching standpoint. If something changes and, you know, particularly in a prep, if everything's going well and then suddenly we hit a stumbling block, everything that goes into that week before that check-in, everything that's around that time, we need to know exactly what's happening because we may make a decision that is wrong unless we have the clear anecdote from yourself and the data. So when you look to get a coach, that first part to becoming a competitor, look for a coach you respect, but then the onus is on you to be honest throughout your prep. So they're the first two stages and the big, big important things that I want to get across here. Really, the likelihood that something may happen, a mistake may happen, or something happens in your life in this prep is high. We are human guys. Now I know as bodybuilders, we become robots per se. We have so much to do in a day. We're tick boxing and we're just nailing everything we need to do. But if something does come up, your coach needs to know. So that is a clear, clear message to you. If you're listening, the coach needs to know exactly what is happening to help deliver you to the stage. Now, this is also tying into asking questions. So for me, certainly, I am a question asker. And Lizbeth, who I know will be listening to this one, we spoke on Instagram about this. And we both like to ask questions. We actually spoke off the back of the podcast and how much she was enjoying it. And we were talking about different coaching styles, etc. And Matt and I actually finished one of our pods not long ago saying we are the coaches that answer questions. And this derives heavily from me being a question asker. I want to know from an education standpoint, because I'm invested in my own physique development journey. For me, 
for me, if I'm being given a plan, I want to be able to understand it and why it's working towards my stage physique. That also transfers into off-season. I want to know why certain things are happening so that I can understand it and it helps me execute it even more. So this is very important, I would say, particularly in your first time. If you haven't done this before, I hate the thought of first-timers that aren't comfortable to ask questions if they're worried about something if they want to know more about something because actually that's going to feed into a level of stress and anxiety if you're confused if you don't understand what you need to do having that clarity will take a lot of stress off so I'd certainly say if you have questions ask them however silly you think they are however big or small they are it's very, very important that if this affects your prep from a stress management point of view, but also from an adherence point of view, that you speak up and you ask the questions that you've got on your mind. So throughout your prep, communication is key, like I said right at the start, and understanding what your plan is. So different coaches work in different ways. You've got spreadsheets, you've got apps, you've got online forums, many, many different things to utilize from a coaching standpoint. So if you have got a spreadsheet and your prep is outlined, but there's part of it that you think, I don't know if that's the right timeline or I don't know if that's right or there's a wrong date on there or I meant to be doing X, Y, and Z that week, but it's not on there. Speak to your coach and tell them because this is going to help them as much as it's going to help you. So that's another big thing that I want you to consider throughout your first prep. Now, if I've caught you before you start your prep, even better, because you have these considerations across the whole podcast today. But also, I want to raise something that is a pretty big thing to think about before you embark on a prep. So we're going to talk about the cost of competing. The elephant in the room. Now, you know, when when you start this journey, right, you are generally very, very excited and motivated because, wow, you get to step on stage at the end of this prep, right? How much better can that be? How much of a massive achievement is that for you? We don't often consider how much it costs to compete until we end up thinking, shit, I've run out of money. And I've actually heard examples of, people that have started a prep got close to the show and they've actually run out of funds and not been able to compete because of how expensive it is to get yourself ready for that show so that acute period around your show costs will go up so you've got those initial costs of i would say the importance of having a coach you've also got the consideration to everything that goes around the food and the training and then as you get closer to your show You've also got what you're going to wear on the day. And that includes things like a gown to keep you warm, hopefully, because we do get cold when we're on the leaner side. Hair, makeup, if you're female, your trunks, your bikini, your budgie smugglers. I actually spoke about all these things on a podcast where I spoke about going down the assisted route. Because when going down the assisted route and using PEDs, that's an additional cost. But these are all costs here that are ensuring 
that you get to stage. These are like the, the basic costs of being a competitor. But what I also want to spin this on is the cost on your life, your relationships, and how that can affect you mentally. And a big, big onus on this podcast today is to hopefully give you some tools to get you ready for what may be coming when you're in a prep as you get ready for a show. So from the off, let's talk about your relationships. So what I would say is a big thing to think about is where you are at in life at that time. So the relationships you have around you, is there any relationships that are volatile? Is there any relationships that are causing you stress? Are there any relationships that you feel pressure from that are affecting your mental health? Because certainly there is a big, big potential for this to worsen over a prep. So I've spoken about, you know, what a prep is. You're depleting yourself. You're getting your body fat down. You're training a lot. You're eating in a pretty severe deficit by the end for most people. So if you have relationships right now before going into a prep and they are of a negative nature, let's be sensible here and join the dots. Are they going to get better? Probably not. So having a serious think about this and you know, generally, is there a right time to go into a prep? There's always something in life, right? There's always something that comes up and you think, oh, why is this come up? Why is this happening to me now? Should I be doing this prep or this diet or changing my life? That depends on the circumstance. Whereas relationships that are close to you, if they've been not right for quite some time, this can certainly create a bigger divide between you and those people or that person. Because I truly believe before going into a prep, if this is not something you've done before, that communication with those around you is pivotal before you go into the prep. Hence why I did the episode when celebrating 100 episodes of actually how to communicate that prep, how to help those around you understand what it is exactly that you're doing. And in an ideal scenario, I genuinely think that for most people, if you could sit down and speak to people that are closest to you and say, look, guys, I'm going to do a bodybuilding prep. I'm going to get ready to compete. And this is what it entails. This is how important it is to me. And I'd like you on board. I'd like your support. If you push back on what I'm doing, it is actually going to cause me a lot of stress because this is very important to me. And being very clear with what is required also comes from your coach giving you a plan and an outline. So in an ideal world, your coach will provide a timeline, how long the prep is going to be, what it's going to involve, how it's going to be structured. So you can actually sit down with your other half or your family members and say, this is what my life is going to look like for the next X amount of months. This is a great tool because they're on board. And, you know, you may have children, you may have big duties around the house, a job, et cetera, et cetera. 
even if you could print out a plan saying, you know, this is my prep, it starts on this date, this is the potential show I'm going to do if you know the date, this is where things like if you're going to have, as an example, a refeed week or a deload week, this is where it's placed, and then you can start to factor things in around those times. There's little things like that that are really good ways of being able to get those around you on board. So my example there of a deload. Now, in my last prep, Tom and I spoke about going on holiday and doing a deload around that. So we sat down, we worked out my timeline for my shows, and then there was a potential to go away to Croatia with some friends. And my intention was to adhere to the prep exactly to the letter so tracking my food etc etc so then the suggestion was okay so actually that fits quite nicely to do a deload just do your steps we're going to do a refeed on this during this time and we're able to then facilitate having a holiday during a prep so that's an example of communicating with your coach how you communicate that with your family and being able to fit a holiday into a prep right and that can be done I don't know if in my first prep I would have felt comfortable going on holiday because it was all brand new to me. But this is something you can consider if, you know, you have done things like this before, you're pretty switched on, or if this is a prep further down the line. Life doesn't have to stop because you're in a prep. It has to change. And that's a big message here as well. Because if people around you A, don't understand how important it is to you, and B, don't know what the fuck's going on for the next six to eight months. How would that feel if you were in their shoes? Would you feel confused? Would you feel an element of, okay, so this person's doing this prep, what about me? And that certainly feeds into how they may feel. So then if we talk about the relationships around the intimate relationships, right? So your husband, your wife, your partner, And this even transfers into children. You committing to something like a prep, your whole life is changing. So let's take a step back as the keen competitor who really just wants to do this bodybuilding prep and step on stage. How would it feel to see someone, your other half, commit to something for six, eight, 10 months and for you to have to take a back seat essentially? And that certainly is true. Because I know myself and with communications with Matt in my last prep, and that was our, we were, you know, very early doors with our relationship. And I went pretty much straight into a prep and we've spoken a lot since, and it's given me a lot of reflections of he had to put himself last per se, because the importance of this prep going to plan and me getting to stage in the best condition of my life was at the top of both of our priority lists so he essentially gave over his life for over 10 months to see me achieve a dream and for me to be able to pursue my own journey further than I have before that is a selfless act it truly is and I remember the talks a lot I still do and when he talks honestly about how that felt it was very very hard for him particularly seeing me get very, very lean and the back pain that I was going through, which is something I'm speaking more and more about. And what went into that prep, 
it was a lot. It was a lot. And he actually, for the last show I did, the fourth show I did of that season, he got quite upset on the night before the show because he saw me trying to do my check-in with Tom, my posing, and I genuinely could hardly move my back. It got to a very bad point. And all I said was, I will get to stage and I will compete. I don't care right now. As long as I get to the stage, it doesn't matter what happens the next day or, you know, what will happen after that because I deal with it then, right? And that was always my mindset. However, now hearing from that point of view and reflecting on that, I realised that actually, you know, that's probably why I've always sort of isolated myself in a prep and that's why potentially it would have had a knock-on effect to relationships in past preps because when you go tunnel vision which at points in prep things change and suddenly you're just laser focused you can forget those around you and how it may be affecting them because everything is riding on that day on your show day and a lot of other things fall by the wayside we can be honest here you know, it's hard sometimes to express what that feels like when you prep, when it's your first time. It's not things that you've come across before. It's not, you know, the tunnel vision that's unleashed. It's maybe not something you've experienced before, unless you've done competitive sports in the past or things of that nature. It can unleash a whole new way of thinking you become pretty unstoppable. You're doing tasks on the daily. You're boxing stuff off. You're high on life. You're laser focused on that show. But then it's those relationships around you. Are you able to nourish them maybe a little bit more to then keep those intact as you prep? And these are relationships that I would certainly say we think about before going into a prep. Are your relationships right? Are there things in the relationships that maybe need to be addressed? And could they be addressed before going into a prep? Because as this gets harder, those relationships can get harder. And then it can end up, you know, you are low on energy, low on mood. It can end up blowing up. And this is something that I want you to consider because that is not what I want for you. I want this to be as enjoyable as possible. And the reason I laugh is, a lot of people say you can't enjoy a prep. There's no way you can enjoy, in essence, you know, starving yourself, doing all this training, everything that goes into a prep. But my my own thoughts around this, and it may not coincide with what other athletes think or other coaches or whatever, you can enjoy prep. But the enjoyment is a different enjoyment than maybe you're used to. So if you bring yourself out of this scenario, right? So think about this from someone else's point of view, right? So you've got a friend and they're telling you, I'm going into this prep. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. And when the going gets tough, they start to tell you, this is really hard and I hate it. What would you try and say to them? Because if you've had that snapshot of the excitement and how much they want to do this, how much they want to achieve, I'm betting a huge percentage on this, that you would say to them, 
I remember when you first started out and what this journey was bringing you. I'd love to see you enjoying this. So then let's revert this back to yourself. If you're telling yourself, I hate this. I don't want to do this. This is so hard. I hate everyone around me. I'm not allowed to eat this. I'm not allowed to go on these social occasions, whatever it may be. You are negatively self-talking to yourself. And if you're telling yourself these things, that's how they're going to feel. So if I had this advice when I first competed, would it help? Would I listen? And this goes back to the analogy of when you're a child and an adult says to you, well, when you're my age and you think, fuck that, I know what I'm doing. I'm old enough. I know best. Sometimes you've got to learn the hard way, right? But what I want to do is just bring this into your mind as a way of thinking and a consideration. Because I've been there, right? And I'm not saying this from a point of you should do this and you should really love it and you should be, you know, every bit is amazing. However, let's look at enjoyment in a different way. The enjoyment from nailing your tasks the enjoyment from challenging yourself, the experience of being able to do what many, many people will never do, wouldn't even contemplate because it's fucking hard. Can that be enjoyable? Can that fill you with happiness, excitement when it is hard, when you can hardly walk one foot in front of the other? I certainly do believe it can. Every day I wake up in prep, every day it gets harder. I always think I'm in a privileged position right now. Not only people that don't want to do it and will never do it, but people that are not able to through ill health, through not being able to access funds to do this, through generally their lifestyle doesn't facilitate being able to do a prep. They're people that maybe wish they could do something as cool as this. Something, it makes me smile because standing on stage, right? Wow, like, it's away from the norm, guys. This isn't something everybody does. And there's a reason, there's many reasons. And I've just spoken about some of them. But a big, big reason is because it's points in prep when you think, I cannot do this anymore, where people will stop, people will pull out, or something happens in their prep where they're not able to continue. That's hard, very, very hard. But if that's the decision at the time, that is the right decision for the athlete. So I always think, you know, when I am getting closer to a show, wow, like I've been able to get this physique, I've been able to push into low body fat levels, I've been able to commit to my plan. I've been able to prove to myself that I can excel and do something I'm passionate about. That's enjoyment for me. And I want you to think about that if this is your first prep. Now, right at the beginning, I spoke about stress management and recovery. So take it from me, guys. I was part of the No Sleep Club. I did not prioritize my recovery and stress management enough in any of my preps and I'm happy to admit that now 
it's a funny one really because my clients that would be listening will be going yeah but you always talk about stress management and recovery you take care of that for us and you advise us here but for some reason it's always been a sticking point for me myself I was always of the mindset that doing more was better and when I first got with Matt and I was doing my first prep with him being my other half he was like whoa you're some crazy crazy girl like how do you even how are you even you know alive doing all of this expenditure on so little food and I used to think I don't know what he's talking about he's trying to be nice he loves me he cares about me and I would I didn't have a car so I would cycle if I needed to go somewhere so even from my house to the big hospital in Chichester it would be like a 30-35 minute cycle there 30-35 minute cycle back I would do 18 to 20,000 steps I would be on pretty low calories I would then be cleaning the house I'd be working I'd fit an eight-hour shift in there god knows how and then I'd go to bed. Sometimes I'd do food prep before bed. And then I'd rinse and repeat. Some days getting up at half four for work. And I would just keep going. And it, it was it was a bit of a surreal experience when he started to talk about, sh- should you be doing so much? I really think that you should be managing your stress and recovery more. And I was like, you've just got to get me, let me do what I'm doing and get on with it. I just need to do this. And I've always done it like this. <laughs> and... There's certainly elements of where I'd always done it like that, not relied on anyone else being on this solo quest as a bodybuilder, that if I didn't do it like that, well, how would I continue gaining success in the sport? I was able to get up to the point of winning Miss Universe, an international show, and I did it like that. So why is he questioning me? Then as I come out the show, I reverse out, Took a hell of a long time to recover off the back of this prep. When I'm more sane of mind, should we say, in regards to my own progression and what went into that prep, what I've done for my whole time as a bodybuilder, I realised, okay, there was actually a lot of truth there. Because your first time doing a prep, you want to do your best generally. So that facilitates this do more type of mindset because you think well if I can get extra steps if I can do more food prep to help take the load off the next three days or you know if I can do extra stuff that's going to help and also if you're in a job where potentially there might be some extra shifts come up and you're lent on or if something happens at home and you've got to do more it's like I'll do that I'll do that there does come points where you can burn out. And I've certainly experienced those types of feelings throughout my time as a bodybuilder. But the recovery and stress management, like I say, I neglected it. And it's a big, big revelation and lesson I've learned as a competitor. And it's something that I'll continue to prioritize and I'll continue to try and spread the message about. So when you have an online coach, it's not always easy for them to understand what your day looks like in the entirety. So 
of course, you report how many steps you're doing, that you've hit your macros, et cetera, et cetera. But maybe they don't know how much you're doing beyond that. So do they know that you're cleaning the whole house every day to get expenditure in? Do they know that you've you've put yourself forward for extra shifts and that's going to affect your sleep? Just some examples of things that you maybe wouldn't be able to get across to your coach on a spreadsheet or via an online database unless they ask. But I would say, if you can, you start to look at what your life entails and how that's going to be structured in a prep. So the outline hopefully is there of certainly what you're going to be doing in say the first six weeks of your prep. So I've already spoken about if you can get a timeline from your coach for the whole prep, that's a great idea. However, that's something you need to discuss with your coach because every coach does it differently. But even if you can get a snapshot into the first, like I say, six weeks, then you're able to understand, okay, so work. Where does that place around my work? How can I structure my day? What that also facilitates is being able to have some time in there for recovery. So what does recovery look like? What is recovery as an athlete? And it can be taken in a multitude of ways, right? So for sure, everyone sees this as different things. So for me, recovery, I enjoy doing my yoga every evening, which is something I've always done. However, it's much more passive now. I used to try and do almost like a dynamic yoga every night on top of everything in prep, again, to get that extra expenditure and do more. Now, my yoga, I'm pretty much rolling around on the floor, but hitting some really nice stretching, et cetera. So having a bit of time to do some passive stretching, some meditation, anything like that would be a great way to look at some recovery management. Now, also, I do have hot baths and I have that every evening. And I have done that throughout the prep. So I was recovering a little bit. But I would certainly say as training increases as well, potentially and the deficit continues to get deeper something like hot bath is very nice around training sessions or of an evening so there's merit in there's lots of thought processes around having a hot bath or shower around an hour before bed to then for that hour your body to regulate to room temperature so your body to cool down and that helping your readiness before you go to bed and get ready to sleep that also facilitates a bedtime routine that you can tie into recovery management. So in an ideal world, let me give you an example of what it would look like and if you could structure this in. So if you're able to set in a bedtime that's the same every night. Now, I know not everyone can do that. Things like shift work or responsibilities may coincide here, but we're talking ideal. So if you can aim to go to bed around the same time every night, so let's take the example of 10 p.m. is when you want to get in bed for. So a really nice routine to get into would be to have your hot bath at 9 p.m. And if you're able to have a nice soak in the bath, switch off and make sure work, messages, social media, anything like that, if possible, depending on your job, etc. You've done your last bits before that bath. Then you have a nice hot bath. Then relax, chill out a little bit. If you want any music or, you know, a podcast that's really easy to listen to, nothing too intense. 
that's a really cool way to almost have that start of your downtime, of your wind down routine before bed. Then you could have your last meal. And again, this is person dependent. Matt and I spoke about this on a nutrition pod not long ago, where we said about, you know, some coaches may try and have you and guide you to having food a couple of hours before bed for digestion. I personally, I like to have 30, 45 minutes before bed. So this is my ideal, remember? Everyone is very, very different. So hot bath, then having your last meal. Ideally, of course, we're using measuring scales when we're weighing out our food. So if you can get your last meal ready beforehand and be able to have that ready for when you've had your bath, you've cooled down, you've dried off, put your pajamas on or whatever you wear before bed, you can then go down, you haven't got to turn scales on and faff around, your meal is ready. That also gives you peace of mind that it's ready for you once you've had your bath. And if that bath facilitates you feeling more relaxed, more drowsy, that's an excellent sign that you're able to start winding down. If you've then got to get my fitness pal up or your food plan and faff around with measuring out food, it can almost take you out of that relaxed state. So a really nice little tip there of something that I have worked on over my time. Have your last meal. We're not using ideally social media or having things like TV on, et cetera, et cetera. There is merit if you do want to do that and you still need to keep an eye on your phone or you relax when you're watching TV to get yourself some blue light blockers. So that will stop the blue light exposure and sending you back up into feeling awake. So the blue light blockers help to maintain that relaxed state and for you to not wake your brain up essentially again before going off to bed. So having your last meal in a nice peaceful environment being able to sit, appreciate the food and enjoy that. Then ideally having around half an hour to just take yourself up to bed, read, listen to an audio book, listen to the Calm app, anything like that, to then have half an hour before bed. And then set in that 10 p.m. time where you then go off to sleep. So that's an example of you know what I would do personally particularly around the eating window as well. As the prep goes on, you obviously are going to get more hungry. And when you're more hungry, you know, eating food around 45 minutes before bed is a really nice way to then not go to bed hungry if you're able to digest the food okay. If not, elongating that for sure is certainly something to consider. Now, extending that, I personally like to do the yoga before. So I will do an hour of yoga and then do that routine that I've outlined. During that time, ordinarily, I wouldn't be going on my phone unless I need to check messages, etc. for coaching clients. Then I'm not ordinarily, like I say, looking at social media, you know, doing things that are going to keep me awake or interacting with things that are potentially going to stimulate my brain. So you can see there, that's a really nice two hour routine that you're able to commit to. And that's really, really going to help your recovery and your stress management. So then let's talk about sleep in a prep. Now, this is something I speak to my clients about a lot. And it's something that Matt and I have certainly evolved with ourselves and our own routine. Of course, being in a new relationship, you're establishing things, right? And you may or may not already have an established routine of when you go to bed with your partner and 
you know, how you feel about sleep, right? Everyone has different opinions, different thoughts and feelings, different experiences with sleep. Now, sleep essentially is our biggest form of recovery. And in a prep, it does certainly become interrupted. Most people will experience problems with sleep, mainly around the hunger levels and the training frequency that you're doing. So how can we prioritize sleep if we can't sleep, right? My biggest, biggest tip here for any competitor, whether you're a first timer or you're a seasoned competitor, is in a prep, if you are waking up every three hours or however often it is, or if you wake up very, very early, unless you need to for work, etc., then if it's a, I wake up, but I could still be in bed for X amount of time, is to use this time as rest. So when we're in bed and we're not able to sleep and we're waking up frequently, rather than thinking to yourself, I can't sleep, I hate this, what should I do? And winding yourself up, then try and think of this, I'm going to rest. Because your body is still getting time in bed. And this is very, very important because you're still able to rest. And that is going to contribute to your recovery. I think sometimes I certainly had this, and this is why it's a big tip of mine that I want to share. I would get so frustrated that I couldn't sleep that I'd wind myself up. And then I was telling myself I wasn't going to sleep. Consequently, I wouldn't sleep because I then would attribute that to when I'm prepping. So it's not normal to sleep. I don't need to sleep. And this is where I talk about the no sleep club. I then found that it was like, oh, this is cool. I don't need sleep. And that's where I've had some big revelations. You do need sleep or as much sleep and rest as possible in a prep scenario. So communicating this with your partner is, I would say, very, very vital here. Because of course, if you're used to sleeping like a, a normal human, whatever a normal human is, if you go to bed and you both have the standard eight hours sleep, if you are then in a prep and you're tossing and turning, you're restless, et cetera, et cetera, this can affect them as well. So it's certainly a consideration. And although this is quite a hard option to think about, I myself have done it and I know people that have when you get closer to a show, sometimes if you can facilitate it and you have two bedrooms, then it can be worth sleeping separately to facilitate not only your sleep and rest, but also their sleep. Because if they're not doing a prep and you're tossing and turning all night, keep going for a week as you're drinking more fluid than you were, as an example, then it's going to potentially cause problems from their end as well. And then that can add to friction in a relationship. So it is something to think about if you can facilitate that, if you have an extra bedroom available. It's not always going to be an option, but it's something worth thinking about if and when you may need that option. So that's sleep and how you can try and do your best around that. Of course, there's supplementation in a prep or as a bodybuilder on a whole. So sleep supplementation is certainly a good thing to consider and also cutting off your fluids for X amount of time before you go to bed. 
Now, I've got to give a shout out to Dee, who listens to the podcast. And we had this conversation around drinking fluid before bed. And she was getting up a lot in the night to go for a wee. So we were talking about it back and forth. Dee is a client. And we realized that although it was decaf, she was having a cup of tea around seven, eight o'clock. So the protocol I asked if we could implement because I always obviously communicate with clients and suggest things, not just enforce. Can we cut off fluids and just sip to first between seven and when she goes to bed, nine, 10 o'clock? And at first she was like, fucking hell, I don't know if I can do that. But now she does that and she gets up once in the night rather than three or four times. So it does show that it works. And it's something that I've, for the majority of my bodybuilding life, even in off season, you know, just sipping to first after 7pm works really well for me. And it helps me go to the toilet less in the night. Whereas when right back at the start, I would drink fluid up until going to bed, I'd be getting up three, four, five times a night. On this note, when we talk about supplementation, there is also things like electrolytes and helping your electrolyte balance through using an electrolyte powder in your fluid. That can certainly help if you are getting up frequently in the night. It doesn't stop it, but it can help. And with the contribution of training that I mentioned to sleep, it's worth talking about this a little bit more. And I'm going to talk about training in a prep as well. That training can facilitate you getting restless legs, you getting DOMS, and it having an impact on your sleep. So depending on your prep, there is a bit of consideration around if you're using PEDs as well and things like stimulants. You can sometimes feel like you gain inflammation from training quite easily, and that can lead to restless legs or swelling in the calves, as an example. So I personally, I do get swelling. I'm quite prone to that. And particularly when I do a leg day, my calves balloon up. So around that, I have a pillow that I put my feet on at the end of the bed. Matt tucks me in (laughs) and puts the pillow under my feet before we go to sleep. And that helps to drain off the inflammation and helps me manage my restless legs. And this is something you could potentially come across when you are doing a prep and the volume of training steps, et cetera, in such a deficit you can get a backlash around that for sure. So that's something in regards to training and sleep. Now, when we talk about training in a prep, I hear it from people, mainly on social media, where people will go into a prep and within a week say, I can't get PBs, I'm going to have to go into maintenance or I'm going to have to lower the load because I'm in prep. Now, I have a thought process around this and I think it's a mindset thing. A bit like with some of the things I've touched on today, if if you say it's hard work and you hate it, you're going to hate it and it is going to be hard work. That doesn't take away from it being hard work, however. So if you tell yourself, oh, I'm in a prep, I'm not going to be able to progress in the gym, I've just got to keep going and just do the gym, that feeds into your enjoyment. If you enjoy training, whether you're going to enjoy it anymore, if you're telling yourself it's going to get worse, but also it feeds into you not progressing in the gym and not pushing yourself in the gym when you can, particularly at the start of a prep, you can. And that is almost a fact. Unless, of course, you know, maybe you haven't had an off season, maybe you're already pretty lean and you're going into a prep, that would be a different case. 
But if you have got a fair amount of body fat to lose, that body fat hasn't all gone in one week. All the food you're eating before your prep hasn't gone in that first week. You've still got fat stores, you've still got energy stores, and that hasn't disappeared. So I want you to think about your mindset here. So yes, there is going to be a point in prep where you probably will need to go into more of a maintenance framework for your training. But that doesn't mean that you can't go into the gym and facilitate enjoying it and still trying to push yourself. If you've got all your ducks in a line and you've got that sleep management, that stress management, you've got recovery there. And you're doing your best to think about the foods that you're taking in on your prep. So having foods that are going to nourish you, you're hitting other targets like your fluid target. You are propping yourself up to still maintain a good level of training throughout your prep. And your coach will advise you, hopefully, around your training and how that changes throughout your prep. And of course, if you're doing back to back shows, when you're peaking for a show, Training does change and it will potentially go less than maintenance, but that doesn't need to change as soon as you go into a prep, because otherwise, like I say, if you're coming from a background of enjoying training and this is why you're a bodybuilder and you're going to do a prep, is that going to make you resent the prep if you tell yourself training is going to be a load of shit for the next eight months? Potentially, but another thought process there for you to consider. So with this in mind, is there anything else that we could look at around training so there's a few things that i would certainly recommend again your coach is going to advise you around these things but i would say looking at your schedule and structuring your days around your prep which we've already spoken about i would recommend that you look at your meal timings around your training so if you're a pretty busy individual and your training needs to be at a certain time It could be that you do your morning workouts fasted. So it may be that that suits your lifestyle and you're able to pretty much get up, go to the gym, get that done and then eat throughout the day. So in that instance, I would say your post-workout meal being around 30, 45, 60 minutes after that, you can utilize a good amount of your carbohydrates to help you recover from the back of that and also help to manage your hunger. And then placing your food around the three to five hours. Sometimes people go for two to four hours throughout your day to maintain a steady energy level and to try and keep your hunger at bay as much as possible. Because that does really help you know when your meals are going to be and helps you facilitate your training, knowing that you've got a good meal post-workout to have. Now, if you are able to get a meal or meals in before your training, I personally mostly apart from right now i'm doing some swimming and i'm doing that fasted sometimes generally i would do my gym sessions after meal one so i do a fasted walk in the morning have meal one and that meal will have enough to last me for that training session but again not using too much of my food depending on how much food you have right not using too much of my food but enough so i'm not hungry at the gym to facilitate some energy levels, to facilitate not getting too hungry and knowing that I have a post-workout meal coming up. Now, what I would ordinarily do is have my meal one, allow around an hour, go to the gym and train for around an hour and a half, allow that sort of 30, 45 minutes, 
and then have my post-workout meal. And that's a really nice way to sandwich your workout in the middle there. That also helps you to tolerate the hunger that you may face in a prep. However, that won't take it away, particularly at the tail end. Something else you can consider as well, which is something that Tom and I implemented, was using something like a monster. I've got the monster t-shirt on as well for those watching on YouTube. So that is utilized as a pre-workout. So I would do my fastest steps, have my meal one, and then I would have around an hour, go to the gym and then do my, it went up, but 10 to 15 minutes of cardio. I would then have my monster while I'm doing my warm up cardio. And then I would train and then do the rest of the routine as I've described. And that's a really cool way to do it because I look forward to my monster. It almost gives you something to, you know, you're drinking it. It tastes nice. You're looking, of course, for satiation when you're in a prep. And that for me would be a highlight of my day. It would also get me ready for training because it's a pre-workout. And you might use different pre-workouts around that as well. Again, your coach will be able to advise you around this. We also then implemented a second monster when prep was getting pretty pretty tough and I would have that while I was training now with of course stimulant use and using things like caffeine and leaning on that there is consideration around cutting your caffeine off at a certain point in the day so that you're not then having caffeine late in the day and that affecting your sleep which has a knock-on to your recovery capabilities so another thing to think about around training as well an extension of this that feeds into recovery management is looking at having sports massage or massage in itself, whatever you prefer. Now, I remember Tom said to me, sports massage, if it's intense, it's like a workout. And actually, you may be burning more calories having a sports massage than ordinarily a strength training session. And I used to be like, well, I can handle it. But it is pretty full on having massage with sports massage. So you could have some relaxing massages, which may be more towards the tail end of your prep, particularly around six to eight weeks out. I end up having relaxing massages. One, because you're obviously quite fragile at that point. Two, because it can really affect you and your recovery capabilities because you can feel pretty fucked after having one for that first sort of 24 to 48 hours. And also it can then affect your training and what you're able to do if the sports massage therapist goes pretty deep. But throughout that first portion of your prep, if you're used to having sports massage, this is something you could look at factoring in once every week, every two weeks, if possible. That then helps you with that recovery side as well. But just be careful with what level of massage you are having. So I spoke there about hunger, 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 hunger. Can we ever stop hunger, right? So let me take you back to right by the start of the episode where it's a choice and actually we can seek enjoyment out of being hungry. And you can flip this on its head. Charlie that Matt works with, he's not far out from a photo shoot and he's getting pretty lean for this photo shoot. He looks sick. And after he has either a refeed or you know he's had a bit of time where he's on extra food, he always says to Matt, I welcome hunger back like an old friend. And that's almost his way of dealing with hunger, which is super cool because it's like, ah, oh. and then it's like, well, hunger is facilitating me getting leaner and that's closer to me getting my goal. And that's certainly a way I've always dealt with it. 
But then when it comes to managing hunger, especially if there's stimulant use there, there is certainly consideration around actually, you know, you can get to the point where you've had stims, your hunger is suppressed. And that's talking about things like cleaning your himbine as well as caffeine. And actually you can start feeling pretty nauseous, pretty sick. I've had times where I'm nearly going to pass out if I've got my meal timings off or something's come up and it's not a nice feeling to have. And even when you're natural, again, the same applies. If the meal timings aren't there and that's not structured into your day, then you can end up getting to spots where hunger takes over and you actually feel unwell. So structuring your day, managing that is certainly something to consider. Now, when I spoke about meal timings around your training and before bed, we also look at the rest of the day. So ordinarily, bodybuilders are eating between four to six times a day. And that's a blanket term, but most of you listening are probably going to be following that type of format. So I would say prioritizing, of course, around your workout, having those carbohydrates before and after, having some fats there as well. And of course, we hit protein targets per meal generally. So then what does the rest of the day look like? So I personally like to keep some of my carbohydrates and fats for before bed. That does get lower as the prep goes on, but that helps me sleep. It also helps me with my fasted activity in the morning. So then you've got one or two meals, maybe three in between if you're training in the morning as the example that I gave for myself. So for those meals, trying to spread out the carbohydrates and fats and your proteins that you have left is a good idea to help keep the energy levels there, to help you not feel too hungry, but also to give you things to look forward to throughout your day. So a lot of examples you will hear how to combat hunger, volumizing food. So I think that is a tool personally. I know some people bash it, but it depends what you're looking to volumize your food with. So are you looking at whole foods, foods that are going to offer nutrition, foods that are not going to fuck up your digestive system from having too much fiber, are you looking at this in a smart way? If you're flexible dieting and you've been given macros and you do that yourself, then you need to consider this. So in an example for my prep, I was having a couple of salads, a meal with some veggies, and then a meal before bed with some strawberries. So the volume was there from the salads, but it wasn't a shit ton of volume. It was enough to tolerate. It didn't cause me any problems in regards to too much fiber. And I was able to adhere to my prep feeling like I was still eating albeit the calories got very low and it gave me that satisfaction from food certainly I would say there's two sides of the coin to this next bit that I'm going to talk about keeping busy to manage hunger so I've given you some insight into how I would structure a day in prep I laugh because I think back and I think how did I survive when Matt asked me those questions I thought well I just do it but there's busy and there's busy so there is merit in thinking about things that keep you busy that are sedentary. So I've spoken before about doing things like puzzles, reading, doing something creative that keeps you busy. So puzzles come out in every prep for me. And the reason is I enjoy them. And I actually find that, you know, if it's a day off work or I've got a gap, my sort of three roughly hours between meals I can sit and do a puzzle for like three hours if I want to. 
And then, oh, I get to eat again. And it's taken my mind off, you know, maybe thinking about food too much. So this is certainly something I would consider with keeping busy as such. Also, what you may come across with relationships is not being able to socialize how you used to. So not going out and eating with friends, but what you can do is go out for a coffee. That may need to be a black coffee, of course, but you can go out for a drink, you can go out for a Pepsi Max and you can still go out and enjoy time with people that you want to during a prep. And I would certainly say that you don't need to go, okay, I'm in a prep, I'm never going out during this time. Remember, I said to you, you've still got fat stores, You've still got fuel in you from before your prep, unless you start it pretty lean. So there's still reserves there to enable you to socialize if you want to. However, I would select who you socialize with and those people that, you know, it's a, a relationship where you give something from both sides. It's not just you listening to someone moaning or bringing you down. Someone that you can have a nice time with that understands what you're doing to a certain level and respects your choices. So this is a consideration as well around managing hunger. Also placing things like your black coffees throughout the day. And I even place having a Pepsi Max at a certain point in a prep because I sit down or, you know, I have that while I'm walking or whatever. But I'm like, oh, this is really nice. I'm having a drink other than water, coffee, Pepsi Max, whatever it is. And it's something to look forward to, enjoy during your day. So that's some little things that you can think about to manage hunger as well. Another pivotal thing for you to think about, and this can completely change your mindset around foods, is to see that the foods that you're having on your plan or whether you're flexible dieting are facilitating your goal. So I've spoken about this already. And again, if you're going, oh, I only get to eat this. Why does everyone else get to eat nice food? My food isn't nice because it's going to get to points in your prep where it's pretty bland, right? If you tell yourself that, it will create that. So whatever you tell yourself, that essentially is manifesting what you then feel towards something like food. And I say bland Something I also want to talk about is the use of zero calorie items and sweeteners, things like your skinny food syrups, sauces, etc., etc. Now, this again is something you may not be communicating with your coach, but a lot of the items that are zero calorie do have things that are going to potentially upset your digestive system, and also it's going to spark potentially your desire from food going up. So if you're having sauces, skinny syrups on every single meal, you're then associating that with treat type foods. So if you're having your protein pancake and a shitload of syrup, you're almost seeing that as, okay, so I'm having my pancakes. Could that then ignite you wanting foods that are actual pancakes with actual syrup and then you potentially feel negative about why do I want these foods in a prep if you're trying to fill out your prep food with these types of foods. There's also a story that I don't think I've shared on the pod before, 
when I was previously working with Stephen, one of the other athletes that he coached had the bare naked noodles and she ended up in hospital because there's a reason they're zero calorie. They've got a lot of fiber and substitutes in them. And she had a backlash and it fucked up her digestive system. And I'm not saying none of you should eat the bare naked noodles, but I know that we put it in our community WhatsApp group with all of our coaching clients. And they were like, what? I didn't know that was a thing because one of them had brought them and said, oh, I'm going to add these to my diet foods. And then I informed her, you know, it's something we need to look at, factor in, see if you can tolerate it, et cetera, et cetera, and shared the story that I've just spoken about. And if your coach doesn't know you're including things like that, if you are on the flexible dieting vibe, or if you're on a meal plan and you're adding those because they say zero calories, and then you're bloated, you've got digestive issues, you're not going to the toilet, and your coach is thinking, I don't know what's going on here. The food plan doesn't have anything that's going to aggravate your digestive system and it hasn't before, but you've seen them in the supermarket or a friend has told you about them and you include them and don't tell your coach, it can have a big, big negative effect on your physique for sure. Also, leaning on things like that for a majority of your meals, it sort of comes away from what are we doing here in a prep to keep you as healthy as possible to keep your food as nutritious as possible so if you're adding sweeteners all the time if you're propping yourself up on skinny sauces then it can lead to potentially certain eating behaviors certain food pathologies that can stay with you off the back of a prep as well because it's not all about your prep and what you do in there and survive in the prep it's also off the back of the prep if you've become pretty you know hooked on these sources and sweeteners etc and you continue to use them when food goes up on your reverse out and your off season again you're adding actual fiber through more veggies from more whole foods them together can cause digestive issues and over time this can become a problem for you. And trust me, I've been there. I'm not saying this from a place of judgment or you know, just a mere opinion, but I used to hang on in there to have as many different skinny items as I could. And then I got into this bad habit of having them with every meal. And I did get digestive issues off the back of that as well. Now, when we talk about digestive issues and what a prep can look like for your digestive system, and what you're gonna communicate with your coach, you're gonna be talking about whether you go to the toilet, if that changes throughout your prep. So where you're on less food and your expenditure goes up, not only stress-wise, of course, you know, you're mentally, you're gonna be feeling the strain at points and your body's gonna be under stress from more training, more steps, more expenditure, but not as much food to take on board to fuel that it can cause problems with going to the toilet. So it can either reduce how much you go to the toilet frequency-wise or how much you actually pass. And I remember my first prep, I used to think, God, I'm not even going to the toilet for three or four days. And it was like, okay, so this is part of the process, as it were. We will lean on getting as much fiber in as we can and the priority being there to get, you know, in an ideal world, 20 to 40 grams of fiber. And thinking about stress management, et cetera, et cetera. But it does become a point where you can't, you can't really expect your body to be able to do its normal functions when you're doing what you're doing in a prep. So 
Then we look at potentially things like Senna tea, which is something I actually use now off the back of extreme dieting for so many years. I do personally have digestive issues, and this is why it's really important to me to communicate with my clients around this. And I used to use laxatives a fair amount during my time as a bodybuilder, and that would be an off-season as well because I wasn't correcting you know, extreme dieting for so long. And now I'm safely just using herbal remedies for my own digestion problems. And I lent on laxatives a lot, right? And I'm happy to admit that. It's something I'm happy to talk about because if I didn't go for three or four days, it was like, well, what's the other option? Okay, so we use a laxative. And essentially you then get into these cycles of using a laxative. The next day, if you use laxatives or you have used them in the past, you'll know it's an uncomfortable experience using a laxative, something like Ducalax. Because the next day you go to the toilet, you know, you might go three, four, five times and it's not pleasant. And then maybe you go three or four days without again, and then you use the laxative again. But utilizing laxatives for long periods of time can result in issues either acutely or later on down the line. And I am walking, talking proof of that. I also know a lady that I used to work with who abused laxatives as a teenager and now she's part of her bladder is shut down. She's got serious bowel issues and a lot of problems around that. And that also fed into she had an eating disorder and the laxatives were a way to purge. So you've got to be careful that this doesn't become a relationship with laxatives, that it's a good thing because you clear your system out and that feels good because you haven't been to the toilet. But then how long are you using laxatives for? And this is certainly something to talk to your coach about. Now, laxatives are used for many of us around a show. If you haven't been to the toilet to have a clear out before you compete to, of course, bring a flatter appearance to your stomach. But again, this is something to talk to your coach about for sure. The last thing I'm going to wrap up with, well, a couple of things just to sort of summarize and what I would think about for your prep. The first one is feeding into cost also and having opposing coach. Now, Emma's going to be coming back on the pod and we're going to be talking about peak week and your first show day. So I'm going to be going more into that with Emma and we will talk about posing because she is the posing pro. But posing is something that I would take with a similar importance to having a coach. So getting yourself a posing coach is super important. Again, doing your research around this and also facilitating the cost of that because that may need to increase the frequency you work with a posing coach, the closer you get to your show and even into your off season. And that feeds into do your posing practice, please, guys, please. Because if you get on stage, you've done your whole prep and you cannot pose or present yourself in the best way possible, then how are you going to exhibit your physique in the best way possible? Now, when you're a first timer, the nerves are there and seasoned competitors would agree with me. They don't go. They're always there because you care about your performance. But if you're able to prioritize your posing, if you're able to make sure that you factor this into your daily routine or however many times you're going to be posing, then this will help it become second nature. It will become habitual. So when you get on stage and the nerves kick in, 
it helps knowing that you already know the movement patterns. It's something that you've practiced and you feel confident in what you're going to do when you step on stage. So quite a lot there to think about for your first time prep. But what I always want to remind you of is, yes, this is a choice. Yes, this is hard. We can take enjoyment from it. But this is also a phenomenal opportunity, no matter how many times you've done it. What a great thing to be part of, a sport where you can excel from your hard work. That's you doing that. It's you that's doing your prep and stepping on stage. And no one can ever, ever take that away from you because that is you're pushing yourself far beyond what many, many people will do. And that is an achievement in itself. Whether or not you place, you get a podium finish, you win, you don't place. Whatever happens, it's an experience. The whole prep, the journey. And you have done that, guys. I'm going to keep saying that until I'm blue in the face. Although if you're listening on the podcast, you will not see me turn blue. But whatever happens, guys, having a clear plan in place, communicating with those around you, adhering to your plan, opening up and leaning on people when you need to and taking their support and completing this journey, this prep for yourself, for your own evolution is a true gift. And it's something that I personally always feel privileged to be able to do thank you for listening guys and if you do feel like this episode could help someone you know or you resonate with it and you want to share it on your story i know i say it most pods but i really do love to see it and i love to hear it and i look forward to the rest of this series helping you to understand what goes into competing for the first time but also for you guys that have listened for a while and you've competed before remembering that fire is in there, fueling that fire, reminiscing, resonating, and hopefully enjoying listening to the first time a series. So thank you guys, and I will speak to you next week. Hey.